doctrine is something that if you're in the area it covers, you really should become familiar with it early on. It's not only educational, but it's also operational guidance that will allow you to more simply handle what you need to do. If you're flying, as the cliche goes, by the seat of your pants, you screwed up. Welcome to the Air Force Doctrine Podcast. On this episode, I sit down with doctrine analyst Bob Christensen and discuss just what is this thing we call doctrine. This podcast aims to better define what doctrine is, what doctrine is not, and provide background on how doctrine is utilized. Lieutenant Colonel retired Robert Bob Christensen currently serves as an Air Force doctrine analyst at the LeMay Center. In this capacity, he serves as a principal agent for the development and education of service, joint, and multinational doctrine. Bob's experience in this field is extensive with nearly 25 years working specifically in the development of Air Force and Joint Doctrine. While on active duty, Lieutenant Colonel Christian served as Security Forces Officer and commanded the 34th Security Forces Support Squadron and was the Deputy Director of Doctrine Development at Headquarters Air Force Doctrine Center. After retirement from active duty in 2002, Bob continued to work in doctrine development till present day. His impressive resume makes him the ideal candidate to help airmen better understand our doctrine. Please join us as I interview Bob and ask him, what is Air Force Doctrine? Bob, thank you so much for being here today, coming to the end of a 40-year career. So let me say thank you for your service. I appreciate that. So let's start right from the, the guy that knows. What does doctrine mean to us? Big question, obviously. Doctrine is more than you might think it is and a lot less than some people believe it to be. One of the key things you always want to want to think of when you talk about doctrine is the fact that it's overwhelmingly oriented toward organization and employment of forces. It's agreed upon best practices and principles. That doesn't mean that it's policy, which is mandatory. As a matter of fact, that's something that is one of the most misunderstood things is that doctrine by order of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is to be considered, quote, official advice. And in being such, it's not policy, which is directive. It's not concepts, which are future looking. It is known best practices that we've been doing a long time. You know, the Air Force has been around for a while and we're still learning. But what we want to make sure is that the official advice we provide to our airmen is good, concrete guidance. We know it's worked in the past, but it's just advice. If you want to deviate, hey, you go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. But we will always caution folks, if you want to deviate, no problem at all, because you may have to, or you may believe there is a better way. But if you do so, you ought to be able to articulate a compelling operational reason for doing so. What does official advice actually mean? That which we know to have been proven in the past to be effective and is therefore the baseline. One of the better ways we have used over the years to describe it is, well, the story I uh, have used to death over the years is there was a Marine who was coming through ACSC a number of years ago, and he they were talking about doctrine. And he said, yeah, those doctrine center guys, those are the ones who build the box that we're encouraged to think outside of. We provide you information. Those are your tools. 
and that's what we attempt to put into our doctrine at all levels, but in the case of the LeMay Center, specifically operational doctrine. And in doing so, we are able to give you, the warfighting airmen, a toolkit. And you can pick and choose what you need or what you want. You can adjust it. You can throw them away and do something different. But you've got what you need to do the job. And that's what we want to make sure is available to them, is the most accurate, the most current set of best practices that the service has identified as being a known quantity and a known effective capability. I like that. So doctrine is the box with which we encourage people to think outside of. Mm -hmm. hmm. I, I want to pull some stuff there. I mean, you, you made a big point that doctrine is not policy. And so generally, uh, when the average person hears policy, we think of our, our president or senator speaking. When you say policy, what do you mean? Policy covers a lot of territory. The guidance that we receive from our commander in chief, that certainly is policy. Federal law is policy. But internal to the Air Force, bringing it down to that level, policy is also our AFIs. Actually, the easiest way to know if something is policy is look at the verbs must, shall, and will are good policy terms. Whereas in doctrine, Probably the single most relevant word in doctrine is that grand word, should. You should do this, but there's always that out. So doctrine, you can deviate from, again, with a compelling operational reason, but if you need to deviate, you can do so. With policy, woe betide anyone who tries to deviate from policy and has to then go explain it to his boss why something fell apart because he decided he knew better than policy. I, I, I want to get into the uh, the deviation piece, but let's talk a little bit. You said, hey, it's not concepts. There's a new word out there, uh, this this emerging doctrine, doctrine notes. How, do, how does all these concept, emerging doctrine, and doctrine play together? They play by being very closely related. Much of the relevance among doctrine, emerging doctrine and concepts is temporal. What kind of timeline are we talking? The reason I, I bring that up is because doctrine, by its very nature, is backward looking. It's the past. What have we done in the past that we know works? A concept is exclusively future looking. It hasn't been proven. It needs to be tested. It needs to find out, is it worthwhile doing? Some are, some are not. It's an absolutely vital element of any type of uh, military, particularly for the United States, that we examine concepts for the future. That's why we have plans that we consciously decide to project out 10, 15, 20 years into the future. The middle ground there, what we are now calling emerging doctrine, is that area where concepts are being shown to have validity, they're, they haven't been proven across the board yet and haven't become an accepted full best practice, but they're on their way. ACE is the current one. Agile Combat Employment has been around for a number of years now. And the advantage of it is that ACE, the more it's experimented with, the more it's tested, and obviously PACAF and USAFE are doing wonderful work in that regard to try to get everything 
examined as to how effective it can be. Once it's shown that it is indeed a best practice across the board, then we'll look at incorporating it into doctrine. Can I give an example? No, absolutely, yeah. Civil engineers, uh, they're a great community. They really are strong believers in their tactical doctrine and the things that they do. And because of that, many of the ACE things that are being tested include a lot of the engineering aspects to it. And the civil engineers have shown, if you allow us to do X, Y, and Z at this remote location, we've gotten, now that we've been doing it a while, we've got a best practice that we have shown works in Europe, we've shown it works in the Pacific, and we believe that it's to the point it's going into our TTPs, our tactical doctrine. So it has gone over from the maybe doctrine into it is doctrine. And the more stuff that reaches that level, the more things that are tested, the better off it's going to be because the more things will become, instead of just emerging doctrine, it'll be recognized as a best practice. So in an actual doc, uh, doctrine document, I, I go up, I pull up 30330. So all that's in there is pure doctrine. It has to be a doctrine note to be emerging doctrine, or do we find ways to move concepts of emerging doctrine into the actual doctrine note? There are sources all over the Air Force that we rely on. We have a singular advantage uh, in the LeMay Center of Air Force doctrine development literally sitting 10 feet away from Air Force lessons learned. And the efforts that they put out, the uh, collections that they perform, the uh, exercises and real world events that they collect information on, all can feed into what is will ultimately be recognized as a best practice. So the doctrine note, we've had three so far, and all of them are very big picture that we're, we want to make sure we got it right before we actually start calling it doctrine. But there are other lower level operational still, but lower level doctrinal pieces below the level of Air Force Doctrine Publication 1, big picture stuff that may fit into some of our other pubs, as you mentioned, 30330 and all the others. And so we're captured those, and I, and I believe we spoke about this before, we capture a lot of that in a blue box. If it's just kind of a small merging piece, past you told me about the hub and spoke operations that Red Horse was doing, mm -hmm. it started out as a blue box, so it kind of identified as emerging doctrine within their doctrine. I just kind of want to pull on that point because I think that's interesting that you see emerging doctrine even in a regular doctrine and we identify it separately with those blue boxes. So here's a question I hear all the time and you already started talking about uh, you mentioned tactical doctrine versus operational doctrine. The average airman doesn't understand that there are doctrine that they know very well. So maybe you could you kind of help us with that. You are 100 percent correct. Many airmen either were not are not aware or simply don't recognize that the TTPs that we have been using for many, many decades and are absolutely vital to our ability to perform, our TTPs are defined by the Air Force as tactical doctrine. So when you, as a person who uh, gets into a machine that has wings and goes up into the air, you have AFTTP 3-1 series, 3-3 series, you're using doctrine. So anybody who's ever used 
a 3133 series, or on the support side, an AFTTP 3-4 series. Like I mentioned, the engineers, the security forces are working on a bunch. Uh, the uh, medical folks have in the past had large numbers of TTPs. Everybody who does that is using doctrine. And so it, it's easier for me as a flyer to understand a 3-1 or 3-3. Red Horse doesn't have a 3-1, but they do have doctrine. What are those doctrine called that they operate under? How is that any different? Uh, I know ours as flyers is governed by the 561st of the, at Nellis, um, but they certainly don't tell Red, uh, provide doctrine for Red Horse. So how does that work? Tactical doctrine is divided into three parts. You've got the operational or the uh, tactical uh, doctrine directly associated with weapon systems. 3-1-3-3 AOC, which is, is a weapon system, or F-16 or F-35. Each of the each weapon system has a tactical set of doctrine publications directly associated with it. On the support side, and this is a big growing industry, the uh, 423rd Mobility Training Squadron at McGuire Dix Lakehurst produces tactical level doctrine for various support forces. Individual organizations can also do so as part of the support doctrine production. So an air staff office can do it, or even a MAGCOM if they're associated. As an example, if there are support activities explicitly involved with Air Mobility Command, AMC has the policy authority for AFI to be able to produce uh, doctrine as well. So there's the uh, weapon system TTPs, there are the support TTPs, and then there's one other kind that is really cool that some people may not have heard of, but is definitely worth checking out. And those are the multi-service TTPs produced by the Air, Land, Sea, Space Application Center at uh, Langley. What they do is produce TTPs that can be applied to multiple services. Some of the uh, biggies there include things like convoy operations, which obviously, particularly when we were in heavy operations in Southwest Asia, the Army and the Marines would be doing a great deal of it, but airmen would regularly be involved and participate or support those things. So the different services that are involved in those TTPs can all sign on to an ALSA, Air Land Sea Space Application, TTP, and it will be then be brought into each service as a service number, but it applies to multiple services. Huh. I wanted to talk a little bit about, you mentioned earlier, if you need to deviate from doctrine, there's nothing wrong, but you should have a good operational reason to do so. And I think that uh, as a flyer, a 3-1, if I think about my 3-1, I'm supposed I'm going to be evaluated on on the 3-1. They're going to say, all right, did you execute according to the 3-1? Now, if I can provide a compelling reason in the debrief of why I deviated, then it's okay. But it's not something that's just there for me to reference if I get tired of flying by the seat of my pants. So this this deviation piece, I wanted to pull apart so we're not given the wrong impression that doctrine is not where you start. That, that certainly is, as I've understood, it is always where you start. Is that is that correct? The best way to think about doctrine is that because it provides you guidance, which is easier to pick up a blank piece of paper and start writing something totally from scratch or be handed a paper that all you have to do is edit it to meet your needs. 
And that's what doctrine gives you. It gives you the ability to have something that you can take off the shelf as long as you know it's there and what's in it and manipulate it to your advantage to do what needs to be done. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, we saw that exact same scenario play out. Uh, we recently did a podcast on the Kabul airlift and talked about the beginning of a of a large operation starts with defining command relationships. And the lessons learned folks from that identified that that piece did not happen, which is nearly step one or two in doctrine uh, in, in building an operation. If you've got the doctrine, it behooves each of us to become at least familiar with it right away and throughout your career. When you are first in the Air Force, whether you come in uh, through basic training or you are commissioned through OTS, ROTC, or the Academy. Either way, the first, some of the first things you should be reading are doctrine. For example, do you want to know what the Air Force is? Well, pick up AFDP-1, the Air Force, and it'll tell you who we are, what we do, how we do it. It's right there. So the better prepared you are as an airman to be able to explain what I do, and why I do it this way in whatever career field I happen to be in, the better off you're going to be. So AFTP-1, that's our top-level doctrine. We talked about tactical, operational, and then the capstone, or the, the basic doctrine, uh, AFTP-1, which was recently revised a couple of years ago, I believe. It was approved by General Brown, the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, in 2021. Because of the fundamental nature of the information in the capstone doctrine, it doesn't change that often and shouldn't, because if it does, that means it's not particularly very fundamental. So we like to have it around a while. The normal revision cycle, since I've been doing it, has been anywhere from five to nine years. And even then, most of the changes at the capstone level have been rather limited. Now, the current one did make a rather dramatic change, primarily with the intent of being able to provide both brevity and conciseness uh, for the, the Capstone Pub. It's easy to read. In fact, what it did was to incorporate two doctrine publications, which previously were titled Volume 1, Basic Doctrine, and Volume 2, Leadership. Both of those were brought together into the single, easily digestible, short, so it's easily manageable publication of AFTP-1, the Air Force. And so with these three levels, each level has a different audience or different focus. So we, we've kind of identified that as airmen, we do really understand this tactical level. It, it tells us how to operate. Uh, going to a lot of AFA confer conferences here with outreach, I see there's a lot of interest in the, in the, the new capstone doctrine, AFTP-1. What is the purpose of each level? What is the intended audience? And where do you think, where do you think the idea that we don't know our doctrine, which level is that probably focused at? That's one of the more painful things I've dealt with low these. Let me caveat this. I'm going to say that I've been doing, doing quote unquote doctrine for 24 years, four in uniform, 20 in, as a civil servant. But in reality, I've been doing doctrine the entire 40 years I've been in the Air Force. But as far as the audience, 
the, you are absolutely spot on correct. There is a dramatic misunderstanding. AFDP one, the Capstone Pub, is for everyone because it is about what we are as a service overall. And every airman, whatever rank, whatever grade, if you're a civilian and wherever you are in the Air Force, should take the opportunity to read it so we better have a better grounding, a foundation of what we are. The tactical doctrine at the opposite end is also pretty straightforward because those are written explicitly for everyone who is working within the confines of what that publication covers. If you are a, an F-35 pilot, you obviously are going to want to read your 3133-F-35. If you are an engineer working on the F-35, you're probably going to want to be very familiar with it as well. If you are a security forces uh, flight chief, you're probably going to want to take a look at the uh, TTPs that are currently either un in production or are in planning for the security forces to learn how best to do their jobs and what is most effective for them. The biggest question mark and usually the area where people say, oh, I don't bother to read that because it doesn't apply to me, is the operational level doctrine. The key people who should be reading these are, quite frankly, the general officers who either are or could be air component commanders to a joint force. Now that may be at the uh, uh, MAGCOM level, let's say the commander of PACAV, who is the service component commander to uh, the commander of uh, US Indo-PACOM. The same with all of the other combatant commands. Each one has a service component. US NORTHCOM, for example, the commander of First Air Force is dual-hatted as the commander of AF North. So he is the service component commander and it's uh, incumbent upon him to make sure, him or her, that that person is familiar with the doctrine. But that's not the only person at the operational level who needs to know this stuff. Anybody who is or has the potential to be on the staff supporting an air component commander really, really needs to understand the operational doctrine. If you are working at what I think it's still called the uh, Theater Air Control Center, the, the TACC with AMC. If you work there, you really should know both your service and joint operational level doctrine providing guidance on air mobility, as an example. So the audience is the air component commander and anyone who can or is supportive of that air component commander. And that's an awful lot of air. Certainly is. And you mentioned if, if you're getting the call at two o'clock in the morning, maybe not to be the JFAC, but uh, two o'clock in the morning to go join a staff or you got a PCS coming up, or you're even in academia trying to inform commanders or those at the operational level, you need to understand this. So it's not, I don't wait for my PCS orders to start studying operational doctrine. I need to know where I'm at. And I would encourage all, all FGOs and even senior C CGOs to start understanding where you fit into the big picture by, by studying this doctrine. Unquestionably. And the information available in our operational level doctrine is applicable 
to an amazingly large number of people. Our officer corps, of course, because of the nature of many of the positions they are placed in, should be very, very cognizant that it exists, as well as familiar with the contents of both tactical and operational level doctrine. But the uh, enlisted force should also be very, very familiar. Now, the TTPs, again, overwhelmingly, just like in the officer corps, are absolutely necessary. But for the enlisted force, particularly when you uh, are approaching or are in the top three, you are going to be in positions supporting air component commanders as well. And it would behoove them as well to be very familiar with the operational doctrine that affects their ability to perform the duties they have as well. One of the more pleasant experiences I had recently was when we had a, an Air Force Doctrine Writing Committee for the revision of AFTP 3-10 Force Protection. When we did that, we invited members of the security forces community, specifically personnel from the A4S Air Staff, to come down here and work with us on it to make sure we had the information. And once they fully comprehended what operational doctrine is and what it isn't, they started realizing that the operational doctrine is the perfect opportunity to place big picture statements from which they could then derive TTPs. So they started, their mindset shifted very effectively and quite dramatically from we must put all of our policy and our TTPs into the operational doctrine, realizing, oh, wait, no, that's not operational doctrine. Tell you what, let's pull all that out. Now, let's write this to tell the service and to tell the air component commander and his or her staff, here's what needs to be done. For more information, let's start drilling down into these TTPs. They loved that and have gone off to do good work to be able to start developing the TTPs. They loved it that they were able to do it. They hated it because they knew the workload that had just been dumped on them, <laughs> which worked out very, very well. All right, Bob, uh, you've been doing this, like I said, for 40 years. And you have, you know, part of that's your, your actual active duty commitment, but also working on doctrine and living doctrine. But now having been through, seen it in action, and been through the process and developing it for, for 20 plus years, you're king for a day. And you can change the process, you can change the way airmen view doctrine, you can change any of this. If I were to allow you to be king for a day, or, or I should say, if I were to allow you to be chief of staff for, for a day, what would you change in the doctrine world in the Air Force? Recognition of the existence of doctrine is the short answer. We have actually uh, the advantage, General Brown currently is a believer in doctrine. We have our discussions with him and want to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the service as he is responsible for establishing. But the big push that he has been making is beneficial to us, and that is, folks, you need to read your doctrine. You need to know what it is. A very large thing that's going on right now, which is one of his set pieces for the entire service, is to make sure the service understands the construct of mission command. That's discussed in AFDP-1, the Air Force, and that's where people should go 
to start learning this information. So if I were the king, I would continue the emphasis on everybody needs to understand the doctrine, learn it now so that it makes your life in the long term easier. One side note on that, if I could, sure. is uh, one of the things that doctrine provides is language skills. Doctrine is responsible for, at both the joint staff level as well as within the service, of ensuring to as, as large a degree as possible the accuracy and the efficacy of terminology to make sure that when we use words that have been defined for the military, that they're being used correctly. So if I were king, read the doctrine and learn the language. What the listeners may not know is your weeks, days from retirement, well-deserved, certainly, uh, going to leave a significant gap that we'll have to fill here in, in the LeMay Center. But what I'd like to do is, is an opportunity for you to take the years of experience, both in doctrine and uniform, and, and be able to talk directly to our, our force. A lot changing right now. We're seeing a, a turbulent time in doctrine, changing the way the force operates. You've served through the very end of the Cold War there, saw big changes from that to force much different focus. And now here at the book end of your career, you're seeing a change again. So I think you have a lot of experience and, and probably a good message for us. Would you care to share? Charles de Gaulle said a lot of things, but the one that I always remember, a statement he made was that the cemeteries are full of indispensable men. So nobody, there is nobody who cannot be replaced, which is a wonderful thing. That's the way of life, but it's explicitly so for the military. The one thing that I've observed through the various changes, is, as you pointed out, is that there is no greater constant than change. But if you don't have a foundation of where we came from, then you're going to be hurting quite a bit going into the future. Santayana's quotation, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it, is still very, very correct and very accurate. So my recommendation to our airmen is learn where we came from. Learn why we've been doing things a certain way. You may disagree, and that's fine. And there may be reasons for changing it. But there have been many, many occasions over the year that anyone who's served for any length of time will also be able to say, yeah, we used to do it this way. We changed. You know what? The, early, the first way was better. So don't throw it out just because it's old, because there may be validity and there may be great de a great deal of goodness in things the way they used to be. Not always, but there will be good stuff in the past. One of the things I've had the opportunity to do was throw a huge pile of historical doctrinal material onto our shared drive so that folks in the future, hey, what did we say about special operations back in 2007? Well, you can look it up. Learning from the past focuses the mind wonderfully. So I'm glad to be able to pass the proverbial torch on to a new world of doc. Uh, we call ourselves doctrinators. Early on, I tried to get uh, the word doctrinalist adopted. Nobody bought it. So <laughs> we doctrinators are here to try to ensure that the Air Force 
knows what's worked best so that we can help preserve our most precious resource, airmen, for the future. That's going to do it for this week's Doctrine Podcast. The show is recorded, mixed, and produced by the LeMay Center's Doctrine Outreach section. Special thanks to Bob Christensen, the LeMay Center, and Air University. As always, the views expressed by our panel members are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Air University, the Air Force, or any government agency. I'm Nicholas Underwood. We will see you next time.